Cosmos Science. News, magazine, podcasts, video and features. Welcome to Cosmos Country, where our reporters talk about dealing with climate change in rural and regional Australia. We always used to go and climb it, play on it. Come on, guys, let's go down and climb the electricity tower. You know, living 100 metres from a transmission line might look really bad. Your exposure is no different than if you didn't have that power line there. We are introducing a massive fire risk. Hello, everyone. This is Glenn Morrison for Cosmos Country. Today, we turn to Australia's transition to renewables. It's pretty topical at the moment. Specifically, you may have heard the phrase, there is no transition without transmission. Meaning, of course, that without transmission lines to get the renewable power to households and industry, well, the whole renewable plan might come unstuck. Recent research says the whole renewables project will need a lot of land for wind farms, solar arrays, power lines and the like, especially in regional Australia. What of those living in the bush? What do they think? One concern is their health, living close to transmission lines. Joining me to chat about that today is Cosmos journalist Marie Lowe. Marie, I believe transmission lines was a hot topic at the recent bush summit in Tamworth. Can you tell me what was the bush summit and and perhaps give us an overview of what happened and people's concerns? Sure, Glenn. I did go to the opening bush summit in Tamworth. And the bush summit is a big sort of a talk fest where political leaders get together in the country and listen to the concerns of country people. That's the major idea of it. In Tamworth, and I believe in at least one of the other bush summits, because there were five around the country, there was a protest outside by landholders who were worried about the impact of renewable energy on farming land. The AEMO, that is the Australian Energy Market Operator, released something called an integrated system plan last month, and that shows that we need nine times the large-scale renewable generation we have now and more than 10,000 K of new transmission lines, which, as you said, will largely be in regional areas. The actual health aspect of the transmission lines was not something that was um, top of mind for protesters outside. Obviously, they have other concerns about loss of farming land and other, other areas around that. I've heard and read news regarding the health issue. Can you tell us something about that? What, what are people's concerns? Well, I think there's always concerns in the back of people's minds who have seen some horror horror stories from overseas that may or may not be accurate about transmission lines. And I think that's what we're here to talk about today. There are going to be lots of them. So we really would like to know what the truth of the matter is. Well, our first guest today might be able to help Marie. He's from the Australian Radiation Protection and Nuclear Safety Agency. Uh, Welcome Associate Professor Ken Karapides. Uh, welcome, Ken. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, PANZA, is the acronym, and uh, your background? Okay, thank you, Glenn. It's good to be here. So, our PANZA stands for the Australian Radiation Protection Nuclear Safety Agency. We're a government agency. We are the peak radiation body uh, in Australia, and we'll look at the effects of radiation and health. Now, in terms of uh, power lines, um, this is not a new issue. Uh, Whether power lines uh, cause health effects, uh, this issue has been around since the 70s. And the issue hasn't changed, really. But 
as a general uh, summary, uh, there is no there is no established health effects when it comes to uh, power lines. There are uh, some studies that have shown uh, possible associations between living close to power lines and childhood leukemia, uh, but it's not necessarily the what comes out of the power lines. It might be something else with living close to power lines. I'd, I'd really like to take this step by step and just go back and cl- clarify what what is it that transmission power lines uh, emit. And, and how does that affect the body? So they emit what we call extremely low-frequency electric and magnetic fields. So anything electrical, anything that carries an electrical current, including all your appliances at home, will emit electric and magnetic fields. At very high levels, electric and magnetic fields, so the established effect of electric and magnetic fields is um, electrocution. So even if electrical magnetic fields were high enough, much, much higher than what comes out of, of electrical appliances or even power lines, you can actually get electrocuted without even touching an electrical, an electrical appliance. So that is the established effect. But what has been suggested is whether electrical magnetic fields from power lines can have long-term effects such as cancer. Now, that hasn't been proven, uh, but that is the suggestion. Okay, I'm thinking it might be nice to bring our other guest in at this point to articulate some of those concerns. We have also with us Dungowan farmer Jackie Gidley-Baird, whose New England property in New South Wales has been earmarked for two 500-kilovolt transmission towers. Uh, hi, Jackie. How, how did you find out about these towers? Unfortunately, my family actually discovered about them from a Facebook post. So my husband saw a Facebook post from a friend who was being affected by wind turbines, zoomed in and saw that the New South Wales government had drawn a line straight through the middle of our farm um, and virtually said that they wanted to acquire that land and not pay for it to use for the building of two parallel. So we might have several towers, but it's two parallel easements of these 500 watt towers, which are actually um, the biggest towers legal in Australia. And and are your concerns concerns over the the space they'll take up and the lack of uh, payment for that but uh, or are they a health concern oh the concerns are endless and it's interesting you said that the protesters weren't so much protesting about the health risks i think that is because there are so many things which are much more immediate which are going to affect the landholders that these long-term health effects might not be top of mind so the issues that we have with the transmission to towers are first of all we are introducing a massive fire risk. These are the towers that created the fires in Victoria on the Black Saturday fires. My husband and I are actually RFS volunteers. So we're aware, you know, in our country, when a fire gets out of control, we need aircraft. And when they put these massive towers through our valleys and gullies, we can't fly and control the fires. So that's one of the first fears. The other one is, is we can't cultivate and use our ag land because any dust or any sort of contaminants near the power lines, again, cause this risk of arcing out and fire. Um, We've also got risks around the koala populations and clearing of of habitat. Myself, I am very much into regenerative and sustainable ag. I'm trying to produce a net zero farm myself following some of the MLA and National Farmers Federation and a few carbon groups. And so for me, vegetation is a huge importance in my farming system and when we're talking about putting infrastructure 500 kilometers away from the end user 
and then putting in these massive towers which create a huge amount of clearing, I just cannot believe that this is a environmentally appropriate solution. But, but I have considered the health issues. One issue that came up, and we might be able to get an answer for this, is farmers cannot use electric fencing underneath these towers because the emissions actually short out electric fences. One of my neighbours has a friend who visits very frequently who has a pacemaker, and she's asked this question of many people and cannot get the answer. If these large towers are being built within 100 metres of her house, which is what they're looking at, and this friend visits, is there any risk of interference with her pacemaker? If this is able to short out an electric fence, how does it not interfere with sort of the rhythm of something like a pacemaker? When it comes to pacemakers, the first one, of course, should always be the treating cardiologist. The second thing I would say is if your friend lives at 100 metres away, in that at 100 metres away, the electrical magnetic fields are the same as if the transmission line wasn't there. Because electrical magnetic fields drop off very, very quickly with distance. So at 100 metres, uh, it's like you, you would have the same exposure that you would if the transmission line wasn't there. Now, if your friend was to go underneath a transmission line, I would seek advice from the, from the treating cardiologist. I don't think I saw something, Jackie, specifically on pacemakers, but there are a lot of frequently asked questions on the our Panzer website, but it repeatedly says there's no established evidence power lines are dangerous for X, Y, or Z. And I just wondered whether that statement doesn't beg the question as to whether that's because there's not much research being done in that area or levels measured to find out. Is that a fair assertion? Is the no established evidence because there's been no research? No. This is not a new issue. This issue has been going since the 70s. And there's been thousands of studies, both studies on animals, studies on humans, epidemiological studies. The reason why we say there is no established evidence, it's not because there is no evidence. You can find studies that show an association, but you've got to look at was the study conducted properly? Did it have adequate um, amount of subjects? Uh, was the exposure assessed properly? So that's what we mean by there's no established evidence in that there is a lot of evidence and when we assess the totality of the evidence, we don't find any established uh, any established evidence. But there's certainly quite a lot of research in the area. Ken, can I just ask a question to that with the evidence? Um, obviously, you know, with this renewables project, they're building infrastructure where there is no transmission infrastructure. So they're, what they're doing is, is they're putting in the biggest powers they can and they're putting them parallel. Is there any studies that look at two 500 watt towers side by side, which is going to be installed nationally? It's not just myself that's affected because that is a very different radiation load to a small domestic power line. So certainly the higher the voltage, the greater the exposure. But there are two things to consider. First is what I said before, exposure drops off very, very quickly with distance. So even though 100 metres might sound like very close, in fact, it's actually quite a long distance away in terms of the electrical magnetic fields. The second point to consider is that by having two lines side by side will not necessarily increase the exposure and will probably decrease it. And I'll tell you why. With power lines, 
you usually have quite a number of lines. When you actually notice a power line, whether it's your power line outside your street or even the transmission line, you'll notice quite a, quite a number of lines. And the reason for that is you have, it's like a circuit. You have current, electrical current going one way and you have electrical current going the other way. And what happens is the more, the more lines you have, the more the electric and magnetic fields cancel each other out. So having two lines will not necessarily increase the fields and will likely decrease the exposure. Interesting. Fascinating. Have transmission lines changed much over the years? Are they emitting the same amount as they always have? In terms of the electric and magnetic fields, the exposure that you get from them, they haven't really changed. What's different you can get underground transmission lines. And with underground transmission lines, the exposure that you get is a lot lower. And the reason for that is, remember I told you that you have, if you have two lines, current going one way and current coming the other way, in underground power lines, they're really, really close together. So the electric and magnetic fields cancel out each other a lot. Now, above ground, you can't put them too close because if you have winds, they can hit each other. You might sort of say, well, why don't they just do all the lines uh, underground? Well, it's basically cost. To put kilometers upon kilometers of transmission lines underground would be an enormous cost. And we as consumers would have to bear that cost. And that's the main reason why they don't do it. They do do it in some parts. You'll find uh, in the city, in the United States, you'll never see above ground power lines. They're always underground. But in, you know, outside new transmission lines, they always put them above ground because of the cost. Dan, I, I grew up about less than 50 metres from an electricity tower in Sydney. And I'm just wondering about children's access because we always used to go and climb it, play on it. Come on, guys, let's go down and climb the electricity tower. But there was kind of a, a nest of barbed wire about five or 10 metres up that you couldn't go past, which prevented you from scaling the tower itself. Is there any thought, and given the leukaemia studies, is there any thought to further preventing children from accessing those? And you keep mentioning by 100 metres, it's dropped off. Is there any thought given to some sort of buffer zone around the towers? Look, they, they have. Look, a lot of times you'll find playgrounds underneath power. And the reason for that is because there's a large open space. Even close to cities, in order to build them, you need open space. So instead of just having empty space, they usually use that space with playgrounds and other things. That this association with childhood leukemia, again, we don't believe that it's due to the electrical magnetic fields. We think there's other factors involved. Ken, if people are concerned, I believe you have radiation meters available. Is that right? Yes, we, we have, correct. So if people are concerned, we, we hire meters to the public. They're very easy to use. You just turn it on, it tells you the level. So they can contact, go to, go to our website. And it's the magnetic field meter higher. We also run what's called the talk to a scientist service, where they can actually speak to a scientist and uh, raise any concerns that they might have, and they can discuss their results. It's very interesting. It all sounds like that it's a field in which, in the future, more research may turn up more realizations uh, for us all. And let's hope that that's the case. But thank you so much for your time. First to Marie, my Cosmos colleague. Our guests, Associate Professor Ken Karapides and to Jackie Gidley-Baird. You've been listening to Cosmos Country. Thank you for joining us. 
You've been listening to Cosmos Country, a look at how regional Australia is preparing for and adapting to climate change. Cosmos Country is supported by the Walkley Foundation and Meta. For more information and to listen to the whole series of Cosmos Country podcasts, visit the website, cosmosmagazine.com.